Welcome to the Broken Vessels Podcast. Jeremiah 18.4 states, And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. This is the Broken Vessels Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Simpkins. This is a podcast where we have discussions on theological themes for the broken to bring encouragement and hope in Christ. And I would like to welcome you back to another episode of the Broken Vessels podcast. I'm so thankful that you're here to join me today. And you're probably looking at the title today and wondering, what in the world are you doing, Josh? You're talking about anthropology? What's that about? Are we like in a college class now? No, that's not what we're doing. We want to talk about what it means to be broken by high anthropology. And we're going to get into this. But I have a wonderful guest today who actually wrote a book talking about this very subject. And my guest today is David Zoll. He is the director of Mockingbird Ministries, and he is the editor-in-chief of the Mockingbird website. He was born in New York City, and he was brought up elsewhere. David graduated from Georgetown University in 2001, and then he worked for several years as a youth minister in New England. And in 2007, he founded Mockingbird in New York City. Today, David and his wife, Kate, reside in Charlottesville, Virginia, with their three boys, where David also serves on the staff of Christ Episcopal Church. He is the author of A Mess of Help from the Crucified Soul of Rock and Roll, and co-author of Law Gospel, A Theology for Sinners and Saints, Seculosity, How Career, Parenting, Technology, Food, Politics, and Romance Became Our New Religion and What to Do About It, And then his book that we're going to kind of focus on today, Low Anthropology, The Unlikely Key to a Gracious View of Others and Yourself, which he came out with a little over a year ago. So, David, it's so wonderful to have you on the Broken Vessels podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Joshua. It's a real pleasure. All right. Well, like I said, we want to talk about these anthropological views. And, you know, a lot of people are probably thinking, well, you guys are kind of getting all hoity-toity and high level and all this. But really, this is a kind of rubber meets the road when it comes to the way that we look at ourselves and we look at others and the way that we live and how we view things that happen to us and how we treat others. So first, I'd like you to explain what anthropology is, and then if you can describe the difference between high anthropology and low anthropology and all those things that are in between. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, it sounds intimidating or it sounds a little off-putting at first, like any kind of ology type word. Yeah. And many folks who've been to a kind of undergraduate education are familiar with anthropology as being like people who study cultures on the Amazon or something like that. Yeah. And there is such a thing as cultural anthropology, which is how groups and cultures form and how they function. But anthropology, at least the way that theologians and philosophers use it, is simply the study of man, the study of human nature. When you talk about your anthropology, the way I'm using it, I want to use it today in this podcast, but also in the book I wrote. Mm-hmm. Your anthropology just refers to you, whatever your operating view of human nature is. And everyone's got one. It's like, uh, you know, everyone's a theologian. I think if you th- think about God, you're a theologian. Right. If you've ever used the phrase, I'm only human, if you've ever referred to something else as humanizing or dehumanizing, you're an anthropologist. Yeah. Like you can't go through life without having some sense 
of what human beings, including you yourself, are good at and what they're not good at or what we're capable of, incapable of, where the boundaries lie, the limitations, the, you know, the upward limits as well as the lower limits. So yeah, that's what I mean when I use the word anthropology. And I think it's also the study of theology almost always includes anthropological claims. Right. When we say that human beings are sinners, that is an anthropological claim, not necessarily a theological one, though it's included within that. Or when we say that you and I are creatures, not creators, that's another way of talking about anthropology. So in the book, Joshua, I chart anthropologies on a continuum of high to low. And a high anthropology, those tend to be really sunny and optimistic views of human nature. Mm-hmm. Kind of a, a bit of like a, a be all that you can be. You have it within yourself to transcend your limitations. You are a good person getting better every day right. with each and every healthy or unhealthy choice you make. You are sort of at the crossroads of becoming a better person or a worse person. That's some kind of a high anthropology at work when you hear that. You could say that high anthropologists view people as basically good good with some blind spots and a low anthropologist would say that human beings are, you know, bad is such a loaded word, but I would say that we start from a place of humility right. and that you and I, there's far more operating upon us than we ever sort of care to admit. And yes, we are profoundly limited. And I would say biased is the kind of cultural word today, but that's just another word of saying inheritors of all sorts of ways of thinking and acting that are not really in our control and that are really influences in a malign direction, as well as there being a kind of an inner flaw in the system and inner sin is the predominant theme for a low anthropologist. It's not the only theme, but when we say that we are both born in the image of God, but we've fallen from grace or we are fallen from original righteousness, that's a low anthropologist talking. Right, right. And definitely understanding that we were born into a broken world, you know, mm-hmm. biblically. <laughs> we were born into a broken world, and I think you're exactly right. I mean, we've inherited a lot that it just is what it is, and we're going to get to what we need to be able to understand how to move forward. So how is this high anthropological view, in your estimation, brought brokenness to our society? You give a lot of really good examples in your book, but just try to give our listeners kind of a taste of what you're talking about. And how do you feel, not only in our world, because, I mean, it's real easy for us to look out in the world and see brokenness, but even specifically with us as Christians and in the church. And I kind of want to look at this both from big picture terms, and then even if you want to give some specific examples, that would be great. Well, high anthropology is kind of the air we breathe, I think, in our culture. And it's also the air we breathe very often in our churches, unfortunately, despite that there's real cognitive dissonance there, because I don't think it is consistent with the biblical witness or certainly with experience. But high anthropology does not take human limitation and sin as seriously as it should. Mm. And so when you look at the world today, you just you think of a couple different larger, I guess, phenomena that are emotional or cultural that do produce enormous amount of brokenness or in which we meet our brokenness or that crush us, I would say one of those things would be the phrase burnout. When you hear about people talk about burnout, it Mm -hmm. usually means that your boss or yourself or people who your relationships with have expectations of you being able to do more than you're capable of doing in 24 hours. That Life is demanding more of you than you are actually capable of producing or fulfilling or whatever it might be. Right. The feeling that you're always falling short of some kind of retreating finish line 
or uh, measure. That is oftentimes like linked to the phenomenon of burnout. So a culture of high anthropology will be a culture of burnout because it has a unrealistic view of human nature, an overly optimistic view. I think it's interesting, too, that not only do other people put those expectations upon us, but man, I tell you what, I still do this because like you said, I mean, inherently... I think this is like kind of built into our sinful nature to a degree, but Mm. I put those limitations on myself. I always think I got to do this, or if I don't do this, everyone's going to be disappointed in me when really in reality, not everybody's going to be disappointed in me. It's more like I'm disappointed in myself, but man, I just think of all the anxiety that I've Mm. faced in my life that comes as a result of that kind of thinking. Oh, a huge amount of anxiety is very often the byproduct of a high anthropology. Yeah. And anxiety is often linked to a sense of control and that which is out mm. of control. And, and you're you're scrambling to try to control that which cannot be controlled or that's not within your power to control. So anxiety is another fruit of low anthropology. Loneliness, we're living in a time where we're always projecting a kind of an ideal version of ourselves to the world through social media profiles or what have you. And then if you're always doing that, you're never actually known. No one actually knows you and you feel extremely lonely. So, I mean, I could go on. There's other forms of it. Perfectionism is another thing that people struggle with. This imposter syndrome, the feeling that I alone am messed up and, uh, you know, which lurks behind. If you really interview people who are struggling with a lot of addictions and anxieties, they often will express some form of, I had to escape this nagging condemnation that yes, as you mentioned, is coming from both outside and inside. It's not a sort of a, this is the problem, that high anthropology is a problem of Madison Avenue or Mark Zuckerberg. It's only out there because it's in here. We'll put right, it that way. Right. In the Christian world, I think what you have is usually people hear some message of forgiveness that they sort of loved despite or sort of in full view of their failures and their trespasses and their sin. Mm -hmm. And that is extremely attractive. And then once you become a Christian, though, this high anthropology, I call it a selective anthropology, and the Christian is seen as capable of kind of living a more and more righteous life or becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And when that doesn't happen, you start to hide, you start to run away, you don't tell the whole truth, you develop a sort of a facade of what you wear on Sundays. I have a good example of seeing high anthropology on X, formerly known as Twitter, today. (laughs) But there was a guy that posted, he said, if you're a 99% Christian, then you're not a Christian at all. And so I responded to that, and I said, the 99% Christian has 100% Christ. He has a whole Savior. Hmm. And I said, if you think that you're not a 99% Christian or less— then you've fallen for what I call the Galatian heresy. He Mm. tweeted back and he said, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about commitment. I tweeted back and I said, there's not one time in your life where you've ever been 100% committed. Neither have I. And then he didn't want to argue and he tweeted back and he said, okay, amen. And that was it. (laughs) But that comes from a high anthropological understanding in my estimation. Oh, definitely. The amount of pressure that Christians often feel to evince a sort of a righteousness or a righteous attitude in what you've just talked about, to be sold out or plugged in. We have all these economic and technological metaphors for it, which are always a little troubling. We have a very, you know, when we hold Christians to a different standard, and there's biblical kind of evidence that you can marshal in the defense of that, but 
practically speaking, you create a church where you create sort of uh, refugees. I mean, I think you think people, when they say, oh, I just couldn't keep it up, it would become too much of a burden. Somewhere along the line, what brought them into the faith, which was God's word of forgiveness and a second chance or, you know, new life, and the fact that God wants to have a relationship with you. I mean, these things often bring people into the faith, and then all of a sudden, they look back after two, three, four, five years, and they think, why do I feel like I'm failing at this now? And you bring the law back in, basically. You bring the law in a, in a very—you just talked about the Galatians— heresy. I mean, that's where this operates. It operates on the Christian, usually in the form of a reintroduction of the law, which is thought to be instructive, but ends up becoming something you're trying to justify yourself with, just because that's how the human creature works. I mean, and a low anthropologist could say, you're sort of incapable of not turning the law into that again, into a self-salvation scheme, into a justification scheme. And so, you know, we have plenty of compassion for all of us in church work and who constantly deal with this in ourselves. Again, it's not just the problems of this denomination or that denomination. It's a human issue. Yeah, I think something Eric Sorensen, who we both know and love, and he said this on my podcast, I think both times I had him on, but talking about the fact that, and this comes from, anthropologists in Christianity, they take the law and they try to bring the law down to their level so they can make it achievable for themselves. When in fact, <laughs> the law is not achievable for anyone but Jesus Christ. Cheap law is how you yeah, yeah. say that. Because you always hear this resounding objection about cheap grace. The inverse is cheap law to yes. lower the bar to somehow put the keys of the kingdom back in your own hands, which is just you're back into Genesis 3. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, obviously we can see there's a lot of brokenness that comes from this ideology of a high anthropology and all of us as Christians. I even think when we objectively understand what the Bible has to actually say, we still just inherently struggle with dealing with these thoughts of high Mm. anthropology, like the whole idea, like you said, that we got to try to do it. Where you were talking about burnout in your book, that really resonated with me. I was listening to that while I was putting my Christmas lights up, actually, and I was just like, man, this is good stuff. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I was thinking, you know what, if I burn out putting these lights up, but I just... Yeah, I, I, hope, I just hope your Christmas light display is better than it was last year. You, know, you, <laughs> yeah. you, better, better, you better be accelerating. Oh, that's right. You got to keep on raising the bar, man. Do it. Yep. Yeah. And we do that. We do that in church, you know. I think another thing that's interesting, too, isn't it interesting? And I mean, there is something to be said about spiritual leaders being held to a higher accountability, as the Bible says. But the thing that's funny to me is the way that we treat people in church when we all stand before God in Christ. But we have this idea that the pastors better be spit polished, like they're at a higher level than any of us down here in the pews, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you create a hierarchy of believers, you're in dangerous territory and you're kind of into Mormonism, you know, I hate to say it that way, but they have standards of worthiness and that's a very different idea than the priesthood of all believers or the justification of the sinner and the absolution of sin. I guess it's like in a lot of things with theology, we want to uphold the beautiful picture of what this could look like and what it does look like in Christ without, you know, while also acknowledging that such as human nature is that we'll take anything, including the gospel, 
and we will turn it into a justification project. We will turn it into a religious ladder climbing exercise. People do that outside the church with all sorts of other schemes and status competitions, but we do it inside the church with holiness. You know, whenever you hear someone say, oh, they're a really good, solid Christian, you don't usually hear good Christian. You used to hear that like in the 1960s, I think, but right. now you hear, oh, they're really solid. And you want to say, careful with that word. <laughs> you know, no, they're not. They're broken. That's yeah. the opposite of solid. It's a solid savior for a bunch of cracked and crumbling sinners. Amen. Amen. Well, that segues perfectly into what I want to talk about now, and that's explaining to our listeners, like really getting down to, and we've already kind of skimmed the surface of it, but understanding what a low anthropological perspective is, and then is this view more closely aligned with scripture and how, and let's talk about some examples, how we would see this in our life both in the world and as Christians. Sure. A low anthropology, I break it down in the book into three different pillars, but they're all very interrelated. The first one is limitation. Mm-hmm. And that is, biblically speaking, that you are not God, you know, Amen. and that God, you are created by God. So you're a creature. That's there in pretty much every book of the Bible, that there is a God and you are not He. And as a creature with limitations, you have certain limitations that are morally neutral. There's no morality to the fact that you need to sleep mm-hmm. eight hours a night or something like that. Or that I got to tell you, though, I've been in churches where they actually make that a moral issue. <laughs> that's just nonsense. I mean, that's what pushes people away from the faith. Oh, yeah. Or that you need to eat. I think that the one today is that there's only a finite amount of time. Yeah. You can only be in one place at one time, despite what my kid's soccer coach thinks. And that's limitation. That's mm-hmm. the first pillar of a low The second one I call doubleness, which the theological framework for it would be Romans 7, the bondage of the will. Mm. I know what the good is that I should do, but the evil I don't want to do that, I keep on doing. Kind kind of the idea of being a sinner and a saint simultaneously. Yes, but just the matter of addiction, I mean, more viscerally, that I know what the right thing to do is and I don't do it. Our problems in life very seldom boil down to a lack of information. Right, right. uh, We know in most cases what the right answer is. We just don't want to do it. Right. (laughs) Or we find ourselves unable to do it. Right. And it's the agency piece here. And yeah, Romans 7 would be the great place where that's present, but there are other situations in which, you know, I've died and crucified with Christ. It's no longer me that lives, but he that lives within me. I mean, there's a sense of which I am not choosing these things Mm. and that the good things that happen to me, I mean, there's so much in life that we don't choose. And again, there can be a moral dimension to this and there might not be. Right, right. The third pillar of a low anthropology is self-centeredness and is sin and my kids don't need to be taught to hoard their toys. Like they need to be taught to share. It is rarely the case that you get into sort of issues of like theological issues of depravity and total depravity, partial depravity, however you want to put it. I want to even take a step back from that and simply say that self-centeredness is something that binds us all together. (laughs) And that if you don't have a view that there is a dark side to human nature, that's another way I would put it in a modern sense. We could talk about being enslaved to sin. That's the Pauline language. You can talk about it. The flesh, but there's some sense in which there's a dark side. And if you don't understand that about yourself or other people, you will quickly come to hate them. You certainly won't be able to understand them because there is something, a sort of a gravitational pull that we would say is the inheritance of Adam, that what we want comes at a cost to other people and not the good of our neighbor. We don't seek the good of our neighbor. It's right. We seek our own good, or at least the places where we're in pain and the places where we're um, struggling is usually those places. 
if we could choose our neighbor nine out of 10 times, it's the 10th time that occupies our mind. Right, right. You know, something that I love about the understanding of having a low anthropology is just the honesty of it. People that hold to a high anthropology, they're just not being honest with themselves or with anyone else. A lot of the examples that you give in the book of how somebody who's a low anthropologist thinks or behaves, they're just being honest. (laughs) They're just like, hey, man, I'm just like you. I'm messed up. We're all messed up. There's something freeing about that honesty. Yeah. You know, before we got on, you mentioned that there's a quote by Anne Lamott in the beginning where she expresses low anthropology in all of its like compassionate sense. This is why people think this is an insulting message. And it's one of the reasons why people run away from Christianity. I don't want to feel bad about myself. Right. What she says, though, she says, everybody is screwed up, broken, clingy and scared. Even the people that you think have it more or less together. (laughs) They're far more like you than you care to believe. So try not to compare your insides with their outsides. Now that, I don't know anyone who hears that as a condemning message. Right. That is in fact a unifying thing. Yes. Although it's not a flattering thing. No. (laughs) Um, And this is the great irony. What sounds insulting is actually, it produces compassion, solidarity, patience, curiosity, love, all of these things. It's not to be conflated with the gospel of God's saving grace, right? but it is certainly puts a person in a situation where the gospel, the need for a savior might actually be uh, intelligible or make any kind of sense. Well, and I think the way that you interact with people, like when you're driving down the road and guy cuts you off, I mean, we go around, especially us as Christians, I feel like it's very a systemic problem in the church because of our high anthropological views. But This idea that somehow we have this righteous indignation, like somebody's rude to us at the cash register or, you know, the neighbor let his dog poop in my lawn or whatever. And we get so, we get so upset and we think, well, I'm right. You know, it's all about me being right. Or we're on the right side and they're on the wrong side. And I mean, we can see this all the way in politics and everything else going on today. But I feel like if you understand that, man, you don't know what that cashier is going through right now that could be the reason why they're having a bad day and they were rude to you. I think when you switch those things in your mind, it allows you the freedom to be much more gracious to people, even when maybe they're not being very nice to you. Yeah. High anthropology looks at misbehavior and sees that the person is either being evil or insane. Right. And there's no middle ground. Low anthropology looks for alternate explanations. You marshal the imagination. Right. So anytime, you ask the question, how could they such and such? And that applies, as you said, it applies <laughs> to how could they vote for such and such a person? Right. How could they spend their money on such and such a thing? How could they marry this person? How could they say this thing to me? And the answer is always the same way you could. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Man, that is good. The right amount of circumstance combined with lack of agency, combined with just internal self-centeredness and sin and malice and impatience and fear – All of these things produce in you the same things you see in other people. Uh, High anthropology tends to draw these huge categories between, well, they just must be a different type of person than me. And a low anthropology says, well, actually, I know for a fact we share some DNA. Mm -hmm. 
And you don't excuse someone else's poor behavior. No, of course not. But to explain it, it might stop you from picking up a gun. You know, I mean, it's, it's, and it might in fact prompt you to want to invite them to church or to try to be a gracious presence in their life. Just Yeah. And for you, my listeners, I mean, I know I got some listeners right now and they're thinking to themselves, well, this person abused me, whether spiritually, physically, mentally, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of people that have gone through horrific abuse circumstances. I myself have. And I have to say, though, even with the people, I went through some pretty significant spiritual abuse, even with the people that did that, I had to come at it with a gospel focus. And not only that, but with a low anthropological focus, understanding that they're sinners just like me. And there was like 10, 15 years ago where I probably would have done what they did and maybe worse because of Mm -hmm. my thinking. I wasn't where I am now where Christ has gradually brought me to a knowledge of what he's really about and what the gospel is and how that outflows from my life. And so, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, boundaries are important. We're not saying that boundaries are not important, but I think what David is saying here is it really helps you to be able to find forgiveness in your heart, even for the people like Jesus says, pray for your enemies. When Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? And he says, 70 times seven. And we think to ourselves, there's no way I'm ever going to forgive that person that abused me. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not doing anything but hurting yourself by not looking at it from that point of view. And so go yeah. ahead, Dave. No, the rubber meets the road in what you're talking about, especially today, yeah. because, yeah, you sort of want to write off the 70 times seven. You say, well, not in this circumstance. Not right. If they had more power than I did and they were being predatory and some. But again, people sometimes hear the distinction between high and low anthropology and what they hear is, again, collapsing right and wrong. They didn't know better, so therefore it's okay. No, they didn't know better, but that doesn't mean it's okay. But it means that there's also been places where you didn't know better. And there are times when you did know better and you still did the wrong thing. It doesn't mean that you did it in the same extent or the same amount of damage. What I think when it comes to the situation of spiritual abuse is oftentimes Christians, what we do is the law of forgiveness. We kind of bring it to bear. It's like, you must forgive this person. And I still, as a Christian, I cannot get away from forgiveness as being the highest ideal of love. It is where the train ends, I think. However, I also, because I'm not God, it might not be within me to forgive this person. And in which case, God will have to do that. And that's going to have to be as far as I can go. A low anthropologist says, you're not God, but your hope is in the God who does forgive and who can forgive that person even when you can't. Right. And so it's not this rush through, don't process, you're not entitled to your feelings, stuff that you do get in a high anthropological response to abuse, which usually says, get it together, Stop feeling hurt. Right. You're the problem. There's a way to say, actually, I can't. And it's okay to say that. The pain is that great. And yet I do have some modicum of faith that God can handle what I cannot. And that's where a low anthropologist lands. So again, oftentimes when people say, oh, Christianity has a a low anthropology sort of verges on self-hatred or self-loathing, that's not at all what we're talking about either. That is usually some form of high anthropology that says, you're a sinner, now stop. Stop it. Stop being that. And so it's basically assuming that you have the power within yourself to sort of change yourself. That's what a lot of people hear from the church. And low anthropology actually says, yes, you're a sinner. That is a great explanation for why the world hurts so much. And yet you don't have it within yourself to really save yourself. 
And so we come together in our brokenness, through our brokenness, to talk to the God who can actually do something about our pain. Amen. And that really comes down to kind of what I wanted to talk about here at the end. How is it that Christ in the gospel factors into all this? And we've kind of hit it, but let's just really get down to it. Where is it that the gospel factors into helping us to walk away from a high anthropology, lean into the low anthropology, and then just throw ourselves upon the gospel? Yeah, well, I think a low anthropology without a belief in a loving God can turn into nihilism. I'll just say that right now. Yeah. But I think that where we walk away is that it's not in my job description to control other people, to change other people. But that doesn't mean they can't be changed or justice can't come about or healing can't. Because I have seen too many instances where God does work miraculous things yeah. in the world. I feel like very strongly that a low anthropology actually sets a person up for awe and wonder at the massive amounts of beauty and grace that we see in evidence in the world, rather than holding the world in contempt of what a high anthropologist does for not conforming to our own expectations. So the whole point of the book certainly was to make an emotionally intelligible, but also theologically cogent, hopefully, argument for why someone would be drawn to a religion of salvation, a religion of grace rather than law in the first place. And so where does Jesus come in? Jesus is everything. Um, Jesus is your savior. He's your counselor. He's your strength. He is the ideal But the Holy Spirit is the power of God in the world. Jesus is the one who forgives, the one who sustains, and who meets you in your actual life, which is usually a place of need and low anthropology. Jesus doesn't make much sense to people who are kind of got it all together and (laughs) have basically never had to, their reach has never exceeded their grasp, you know? Either that or they try to make Jesus into what they want him to be, and in a sense, in my opinion, making a false idol. So Yeah, that could be too. I believe that Christianity is a religion of salvation. I'm not shy about that word. I think it's a religion of forgiveness and absolution. And I don't think words like salvation, grace, forgiveness, I don't think they make much sense in light of a high anthropology. You might need, a high anthropologist might need a little help from God, a little guidance now and then, a little comfort, but doesn't need to be saved. Right. And that's, that's kind of interesting because you talked about how high anthropology even within the church, I mean, it sounds more Mormon. And that's the thing that's funny, because I believe it's in the Book of Mormon where they say you're saved by grace after all that you can do or something like that. It's kind of do, doing your best. Doing and your yeah, best. After, yeah, after you've done all that you can do. Yeah. And that is in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And I don't, now the point's not to rag on Mormons, but no. I do think that life brings us to a point of need. A low anthropology is simply a view of human nature that sees people in profound need of help and a help from each other and help from God, and ultimately deliverance from God. I think that's not often very fashionable, but I think it's of immense comfort to people who've messed up, or people who life has dealt a really, really tough hand to, and those tend to be people that gravitate towards the Christian faith. It seems to me from the Bible that that seems to be who Jesus works with the most, are all the messed up people. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a high anthropologist has, sort of has to do cartwheels around the New Testament. says, oh, this was then and this is now. And Romans 7 doesn't apply to the Christian or Peter didn't actually say those things that needed to be rebuked by Paul. You know, you have to kind of explain all this away. I think a low anthropology really takes seriously that Jesus's mission statement that he came to seek and save the lost and is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Anything less than that is not really good news. And so... Amen. Well, that's always where we like to end here on the Broken Vessels podcast is the good news. (laughs) And the good news is Christ for you. Not after all that you can do. It's just straight up 
Christ for you, no matter mm-hmm. what you've done. That's the gospel. And brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, we all struggle with dealing with this high anthropological viewpoint. I think in the end, we've all come from it in some way, shape, or form from all kinds of different walks of life. Mm-hmm. But we got to get back to looking at the reality and be honest with ourselves and honest with everyone else that we're all messed up, we're all broken, just like that Anne Lamont quote that David shared. And man, when you have that understanding, you can have compassion on yourself. We all need to forgive ourselves. Not only that, but we can be much more compassionate and forgiving toward those that in our lives that rub us the wrong way and mm. and people that have even done worse. I hate to use this quote, or it's not really a quote, but this saying, but we're all in this together. In a sense, as sinners, we are. We're all in this together, but we're all in this together as sinners, but we have a Savior who's there with us, and we can all throw ourselves upon him because he did it for us. So praise the Lord for that. Well, Dave, go ahead and share with our listeners about Mockingbird Ministries and how they can find you guys and maybe some things that you got coming in the works. And I know you guys got podcasts and things like that going on. Sure. Thank you, Joshua. Yeah, sure. I, so I work for run an organization called Mockingbird and we've got a very active website, bunch of writing about grace and its absence in the world. I mean, we talk about low anthropology a lot, everything that your podcast stands for. I think people would find some, hopefully find some sort of area of resonance in Mockingbird. We also do a lot of podcasts. I myself host something called the Mocking Cast with a couple of friends where we sort of go through cultural sort of touch points for grace and sort of on a bi-weekly basis. We do conferences. We have a conference coming up in New York in April. We have one every year. It's our 16th annual one is in April. Okay. And yeah, we have a magazine, a really beautiful print magazine that comes out about three times a year. Our most recent issue was called The Mercy Issue. We've got a mystery issue coming up in January. We've got lots and lots happening. And just encourage people to check out mbird.com, M-B-I-R-D.com. And you'll find all the stuff that we're working on, as well as my books, which can be found sort of on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you get books. Awesome. Awesome. And we will definitely put all of the uh, links in the show notes so you all can check uh, Mockingbird Ministries out and connect with Dave if uh, you would like to. So David, it's been so wonderful having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for coming and sharing just the good word of the gospel of grace (laughs) for all of us sinners and all of us people that deal with the low anthropology. That's the reality of the world. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me, Josh. It's a real uh, privilege to, to be here with you guys. So thank you. All right. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's been wonderful to be with you again. I hope this has been an encouraging episode to you and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.